Let's turn in God's word today to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Turning to Romans chapter 8, we want to read from verse 18 through to verse 25. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear the word of God. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, and hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. It reads as follows, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And I've entitled today's message, Suffering Groans to the Splendor of Glory. Now, there's a wee story told about a boy at home doing his homework. And he's got a general knowledge quiz to do. So he's sitting looking at these questions. His dad's in the same room. Dad's reading the newspaper. And he says, Dad, can I ask you a few questions? Sure, son. Fire away. Right, Dad, how far is the earth from the sun? Good question, son. Don't know. Well, Dad... How hot is the sun? Don't know, son. Dad, how many stars are there in our Milky Way galaxy? Don't know, son. Right, Dad, here's another question. How deep is the Atlantic Ocean? Don't know, son. Okay, Dad. I hope you don't mind me asking you all these questions. No, son, I don't mind at all you asking me these questions. Because if you don't ask, you'll never learn, son. You see, children are full of questions. Young children asked, for example, why do earthquakes occur? Why do people get sick? Why did that person shoot those other people dead? 
Why did that group plant or set off a bomb? Why did he or she start a war in a particular place? You see, these are all important questions. And oftentimes the children do not receive a satisfactory or a scriptural answer even from grown-ups. You see, for centuries, atheists, agnostics, anti-Christian people with no God, no Christ mindset, they threw out these questions. And here's one of them. How could an all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful God allow terrible suffering in the world? And they assume because of terrible suffering in the world, which they acknowledge is real, their mindset is, well, there's no God. Because no all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful God would allow this terrible suffering. You see, isn't that a great question? How can an all-wise, loving, all-powerful God allow terrible suffering in the world? It's a great question. It, It demands an answer. And I want to tell you it is answerable. But the problem is this, that on the journey of life, very few atheists... Very few agnostics, certainly those that are anti-Christian and those that are anarchists in society, people are willing to listen to a multitude of voices, philosophers and historians and the like, but they will not listen to the voice of God. They'll not listen to the voice of God alone. They're not listening to the voice of God exclusively. And because they're listening to a multitude of other voices, Plato said this and uh, somebody else said that, and, and, and because they're listening to these multitude of other voices, they're, they're losing their way. They're making shipwreck of their lives. There is terrible suffering in the world, young people. And it's a big subject. It's a difficult subject, but to answer that subject, we've got to stick with and stay with the Word of God. We have got to examine what the Bible teaches, what saith the Scriptures. And I want to say immediately this morning, there's no child of God. And there's no sinner in the world that's exempt from pain and suffering. And you see, sadly, some church leaders and even men who call themselves faith healers have preached, they've talked a lot, written books about this subject, and much of what they've said and written is is downright heretical. It's it's not helpful in any way to to answer the question. Now, Now, look at our text. Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Here is part of the biblical perspective in looking at this difficult subject. Now, we're not able this morning to fully deal with this subject. I'm only offering some practical and helpful truths as we struggle to comprehend our world with all the terrible suffering in our world and our small part in it today. What is Paul saying in Romans 8? He's telling us this, that the present groans of our suffering now will eventually lead to the splendid glory that God has planned for us in the world to come 
And in the world to come, when the full revelation of that splendid glory is revealed, our present sufferings will be nothing in comparison to it. You see, Romans chapter 8, as I told you last week, is the chapter of victory, the chapter of assurance, the chapter of encouragement. So, so why does Paul throw in the topic of suffering into this chapter of victory and assurance and encouragement and comfort? Is there an answer? There's a simple answer. It's very sublime, and it's this. Listen to me carefully. In spite of all our sins and shortcomings, in spite of all our faults and our feelings, the children of God, those that are born again of the Spirit, those that are saved, those that are adopted into God's family, you know where they're going to end up at the end of this life? They're going to end up in heaven. And the glory of heaven is the true Christian's ultimate destination. And if you're born again and washed in the precious blood of Christ, then you have the guarantee this morning in Christ that you're going to end up in heaven. You're born for heaven. You're bound for heaven and home. And listen, you will get there because you're in Christ. By the grace and goodness of God. And even though the road to heaven, as you journey through it, is through this pathway of terrible suffering at the present time. Think of the context. Verse 17, he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, and if so be that we suffer with him, See, there's the subject of suffering. Christ was the man of sorrows. He knew what it was to suffer terrible pain and woe and anguish. That we may be also glorified together. In other words, we suffer with him in order that we fully appreciate the glory that's going to be revealed in the world to come. Terrible suffering in the world It's like a divinely appointed path to glory. Here we suffer. We groan in our suffering. And yet, if we fill our hearts and minds with that great perspective of the glories of heaven that's yet to be revealed, what a difference it makes on our journey. Spurgeon, when he preached this, talks about the hurts and the hallelujahs of the people of God. We could talk this morning as we're doing the suffering groans to the splendid glory. Now, I have three things here. I want you to think about the fact of our suffering. See, this present time is marked by suffering. Isn't that what Paul says? For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, the suffering of this present time. Think of the reality of suffering. You see, time here, it's not referring, I believe, exclusively to a particular different period in history. It's not even referring to a particular point in a person's life. I believe it's referring to this entire present age. So so from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden right up to the present, the entire lifespan of the individual is included in those words, the suffering of this present time. 
You see, the whole history of creation since the fall into a state of sin and misery is marked by suffering. The history of the world today, marked by death, violence, war, calamities, national disasters, um, power struggles, crime, treason, pain, disease, death. See, the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says, Romans 6 and 23. The ultimate wages of sin is eternal death. Eternal death in hell. Surely that's the worst form of suffering ever. Think of the rich man in hell in torments to this day. There's nothing worse than ending up in hell and being in torment. Jesus said, fear not them which can kill the body, but rather fear him that has power to throw both body and soul into hell. And the moral evils that come into the world at the fall have led to the natural evils in the world. The moral evil of sin introduced the natural evil into our world. Sin brought with it pain, woe, and suffering. And if you think of the history of the first man, Adam, right up to the present time, for a large part, the history of man is one of trials and tears and trauma and turmoil. The first death occurred just outside Eden. Who died? It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Eve. Oh, yes, they died spiritually, but they were still alive physically. But the first physical death was the murder of one of Adam and Eve's children. Cain, remember, rose up to slay his brother Abel. Maybe you today, you can look back to the day when you were born into the world. You can think of your birthday. I was thinking about babies. Amelia Rose will be one coming on Friday. The birth of babies. Babies grow up. Babies become teenagers. They're on a journey. They're trying to figure out, who am I? What do I want to do in life? Who, who will I marry? Where will we live? How much money will I earn? What's going to happen to me on the journey? Eventually, I'm going to grow old. Eventually I'll decline in health. One day I'll have to face death. I'll, I'll meet the last enemy, which is death. You see, in the jigsaw of life, the lifespan from babyhood right up to we're, we're, we're lying cold in the casket. I want to tell you it's one of tears. It's one of trials. It's one of turmoil. Oh yes, there's a few treats along the way to sweeten the pain and lighten the load. But by and large, the history of man it's a history of trials and tears and trauma. And I want to say this morning this, saints suffer. God's people, God's children suffer. Read the Bible. Think of the story of Job, 42 chapters. You see, it's a history of hurts and the history of hallelujahs. You think of the Christians in the first century that suffered on account of being a Christian. You think of those who suffered on account of being the prophets in the Old Testament. First century was a life of imprisonment for many, impoverishment. Think of the Apostle Paul. We could think of his catalog. I'm not going to turn to it, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28. You read it. This is what Paul had to experience on life's journey. He says in Acts 14, verse 4, through much tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of God. All over the world, even to this present time, God's saints are suffering. 
Some are being martyred for their faith in Christ in places like Indonesia and places like Iran and Pakistan and other countries in the far east. Here in the UK, there's an insidious form of opposition and persecution against the people of God. You're a Christian and you're in the workplace, say, and a nurse, and you've got a, a biblical worldview, and you go to a patient, and you say to that patient who's very ill and is in pain, and you're trying to bring a little crumb of comfort, and you'll say to them as a nurse, do you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And then that person gets upset, and then they, they report you to the superior, certainly if they're an atheist or agnostic or, or an anti-Christian person, and the next thing you're up on a disciplinary charge and you're, you're threatened with the sack, or, or you, you, you offer someone a Bible, and, and that's looked upon as an offense. You think of parents today, Christian parents, that brought their children up in the fear and nurture and admonitions of God, and those children come into their teenage years and into their 20s, and what do they do? They go AWOL from God, absent without leave. And they begin then to pursue the path of sin. And they're living for self. And they've turned their back in the great truths that they've been brought up with. And one of those truths was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And what happens? There's turmoil and tears in the home. There's trauma. Parents are affected. They, they grieve and groan in the inside of their heart. You see, what are you suffering right now in the house of God here? Those online listening to me. What are you going through? You know what you're going through. You can name it. And how many have got heavy hearts? And how many have heavy minds? And the suffering is real. And yet, strangely, that's the path that we must go through. As we journey with the Lord, the reality of suffering, very quickly. Think about the root of suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? Well, the root cause is the fall of mankind into sin. Here's Paul's teaching. The whole of creation is suffering because of man's fall into sin. That's what Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 22. Paul is picturing creation groaning anxiously and uh, creation awaits anxiously for the manifestation of the sons of God at the return of Jesus Christ you see the second coming of Christ will trigger a release from corruption for the whole of creation has been subject to since the fall into sin Genesis 3 verse 17 Genesis 3 verse 18 the ground is cursed. You think of this world, the botanical world, world of plants and trees and shrubs, the animal world, the human world, the moral world, it's all under a curse. Remember the Bible talks in Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9, about the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. That's, that's a, a literal thing that's going to happen. But it's also very poetic because it speaks of peace. A wolf lying down with a lamb. A wolf would normally attack the lamb, kill the lamb, eat the lamb. In other words, in a, in a day to come, there's not going to be any violence and death in the newly restored world, in the new heaven and the new earth. 
See, David Attenborough, we watch him on our television screens. He's presenting the natural world. Think of a big shark coming up out of the sea, young people, and it's swimming in the ocean. And all of a sudden, it, it, it dives in and comes up with a baby seal in its mouth, and the blood's going everywhere. And David Attenborough thinks this is great. This is the natural world. Or, or, or a pack of lions, and they're going after a bull elephant to bring it down. Or, or a leopard after an antelope who's drinking at a stream. You see, that's presented as natural, but I want to tell you it's not the natural order of things. We don't believe in the survival of the fittest and, and, the, and the bigger spraying on the weak. Why? Because it's not natural to this world. Death and violence are the result of sin and the fall. Death and violence and disease are not part of the original creation. But in the future, all born-again believers, they will receive the full redemption of their bodies because that's what's promised in Christ. That's what's guaranteed. Paul says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. And in that day, all of creation will be restored to its original estate. Now, what does that imply to us, very quickly? That God is the creator of all that there is in the whole of the universe. It didn't evolve by chance. It's nothing to do with random mutation over billions of years. Nothing to do with natural selection. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 2 teaches us six-day creation. Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's not up for debate. The Bible introduces us to God. The Hebrew Bible, the first word is God, Elohim. A, a plural noun. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. God created this world by the word of his power. Listen to what the psalmist said in uh, Psalm uh, 33 and in the um, verse 6. He, he made a tremendous statement. Psalm 33 and in the uh, verse uh, 6. Uh, listen to the word of God. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of all his creatures. He's even the Lord of the devil and every demon in hell. He's the Lord of the beasts of the field, give breath to all. He's the Lord of all his children. Let me ask this morning, have you come before him? Have you confessed that you're a sinner? Have you bowed the knee to him and received him as Lord and Savior? Do you come with a bowed knee to worship him because you love him and you say, I will serve thee because I love thee? You see, it not only implies that God is creator, but implies this, that creation has fallen. And this moral evil that's in the world, and there's loads of it. We see it in our country. This abortion is only one offshoot of this moral evil that's prevalent today. The natural evil that's in the world, the, the death and violence, the, 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 the way animals attack each other. Yet, it all bears testimony to God's power, to God's wisdom, to God's glory. Because the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth showeth forth his handiwork. Now, not only the um, reality of suffering and the root of suffering, but very quickly the response to suffering. All believers, every Christian, suffers too. 
I want to make that clear. Because it's perverse to teach that God wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy. Now, if, if someone said to me, well, God wants you to be a billionaire, that my sinful desire for greed could, could want that to happen. Or um, my sinful desire to be healthy. Um, longing to be in good health is, is a, a, a good thing in some respects. But remember, it's all subject to the mind and will of God. But is it the will of God for every Christian to be healthy and wealthy in the world? Every Christian to be a billionaire and every Christian never to be sick? Well, that's not the teaching of Scripture. That's heretical. Because 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28, a catalogue of Paul's sufferings. Think of Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came into this world of suffering and woe and pain. He came to suffer. There's none of us exempt. And, and how do we respond to that? I believe that in our suffering we should turn to him. I believe that we should trust him. I believe that we should talk to him. I believe that we should thank him. Paul says, look at our text, for I reckon. That that word reckon there means to consider, to ponder, to carefully analyze. You see, sufferings have a big impact. When you're suffering pain, it, it floors you. It, it brings you down. It, it brings you to your knees. And, and you're engulfed by powerful emotions. And, and there's floods of tears. And in your countenance, there's sadness. And what's true for your experience is true for your loved ones as well. And I'm saying here's the response that ought to be this morning to this present suffering. Let's not be angry with God. Let's not be bitter and turn against him. Remember, that's what Job's wife said to Job, curse God and die. That was the wrong response. She was acting like a pagan woman, like a heathen woman. Oh, let's just blame God. But, but sufferings are part and parcel, not only of the Christian life on earth, but, but of life on earth. We, we are going to suffer at some point in our lives. Some people want to try and avoid suffering, so they turn to a form of pain relief, drink, drugs, entertainment, um, a life of immorality and this is all as a means to escape the, the pain and hurt and sadness of life but it only creates more now there's nothing wrong to pray when a person's sick to pray for healing the, the key to that healing is the will of God and when we pray God can say yes and God can say no and God can say wait what did he say to Paul 2 Corinthians chapter 12 he had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed about it three times. Paul was in pain. He could have been a better minister, a better missionary without that pain. At least that was his analysis. And he prayed about it. And what did God say? No, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, Paul had to learn to most gladly take knowledge of his weakness. And in his weakness, as he come to accept it, which I believe wasn't easy, I know that it's hard to grieve. It's hard to groan. But in Paul's weakness, he had to depend upon the grace and help of God. He had to turn to him, trust him, talk to him. 
There was people who prayed for healing. King Hezekiah was healed. Epaphroditus was healed. The Lord heard and answered prayer. So, so in order to avoid suffering, there's nothing wrong with praying about healing. But remember this, that it has to be subject to the will of God. And here's a further response, apathy. Some people with present sufferings are unmoved. They show no emotion. They have dry eyes and they have hard hearts. They're like the stoic. They just grit their teeth and continue living. Could I suggest this morning the right response? Suffering in this present world is relatively short compared to life in heaven. You think of the time span of life, even if we lived till 100, 110, that would be amazing. But you compare that in light of eternity, which is forever. Suffering trials now in this life, in our bodies, suffering trials and everything else, the trauma and tears for Christ and for his cause. What's it like? Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Suppose I was to get a giant pair of scales and put a feather, one feather, on a scale. And then on the other side of that scale, I was to put, say, a ton of gold. That's what it would be like. It would be nothing in comparison. The present suffering is like a, a light little feather in comparison to all the eternal glory that God has for us in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18 makes that clear. For our light affliction is but for him. Paul called it light affliction. He was thinking about the eternal weight of glory. Could I say this as well? Suffering now, future glory is fully guaranteed. It's sure, it's certain. God has promised it us. It's in Christ and God cannot lie. And remember Christ, he lived, Christ died. Christ rose again, Christ ascended, Christ prays for us in heaven, Christ will return in power and glory for us and Christ is going to bring in the full and final redemption of his people the redemption of our bodies at the resurrection and he'll put down all his enemies and our enemies and here's another response to this suffering understand that God is using this suffering in this life with all its trials and tears and trauma to change us into the image of Christ this morning are you trusting in the sorrowing Christ the man of sorrows do you look to him as the sinless Christ who lived a sinless life, did no sin, knew no sin in him, was no sin on your behalf? Can you look to him as you stand at the cross and see the sacrifice of Christ, his, his death and blood shedding? We're, we're not redeemed by the wounds of Christ, we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. Do, 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 do you see the supplicating Christ at God's right hand, praying, knowing your name and your need? You think of the sovereignty of Christ, that your life is in his hands and he has a plan and purpose for you. Just remember that as we finish. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we all can observe terrible suffering, pain and woe 
in this life. And, and when we observe this thing in our own lives, in our families, in our community, our country, we begin to doubt, does God really love us? Is God really all wise? Is God really all powerful? You see, it's hard when we, when we watch violence and murder. When, when we hear of sickness, people in the hospital, I go in and out of the hospital into the old people's homes and into people's houses. And, and, and I have to remind myself, this sickness all stems from mankind's fall into sin. Adam's to blame. Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When I think of the horrible effects of war and famine and disease in the world. When I hear of the abuse of children whether it's at the hand of Roman Catholic priests or so-called Protestant clergymen. I, 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 I come, this is part of the moral evil in the world. Let's not doubt God. Question his love, his wisdom, or his power. You and I would not have done any better than Adam. Adam was perfectly sinless and yet chose to disobey God. You and I is not God. We're not infinite, un eternal, and unchangeable in our being. And if we get into our mind that part and parcel of life is the suffering of this present world, then in all our groans and moans, what does it teach us? How horrible sin is. And the need to turn to our God. And the need to trust him and talk to him and thank him for the life that he's given us. Especially that life in Christ. The fact of our suffering, it's real. It's rooted because of the horror of sin. Trace right back to Adam and his disobedience and the fall of mankind into a state of sin and misery. And the response can be wrong for many. But there is a right response by turning, by trusting, by talking, and by thanking God for who he is. And the fact that we're saved and in Christ. Now that's only my first point. And our time is gone. And I'm going to close the service there. I have two other points here. I'm not going to preach it now. We'll see how the Lord leads in a, a future time. You've got to think about the fact of this suffering. You've got to think about the future of suffering. That's another point. The glory Oh, oh, we, we could spend a, a, a full 40 minutes talking about the glories of heaven. And then we could talk about the fruit of suffering. Keep an eye on the fact that you have hope in God. We're going to leave it there this morning. I trust and pray the Lord will take these few thoughts that I've shared them with you. And they'll be a help to you and your families at this time.